legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Hello, everybody. I'm Gary Michaels, the host of Let's Talk Legacy, and I'm really, really excited about our guest today, Catherine Monson. She's the CEO of Propelled Brands, the parent company of Fast Signs International, which is the largest sign and visual communication franchiser in North America. Catherine's responsible for overseeing the operation of over 950 independently owned and operated franchise businesses in nine countries. She has over 30 years of franchising, management, and leadership experience. She's also the current chair of the International Franchise Association. She's so well-respected, and I'm just excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Catherine. Well, Gary, I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Let's dig in here. And your story starts off at a bit of a disadvantage. You said before that your childhood was less than ideal, but that you refused to be defined by your circumstances. Can you give us a little bit of your backstory? Absolutely. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that my child was worse than a lot of childhoods, but I had a very abusive alcoholic mother who spent uh, her time berating me that the only reason she drank was because I was such a hor horrible child. And the only reason she and dad fought was because I was such a horrible child. Now, the good news is she did not do that to my three younger siblings. So I feel blessed for them. That, that didn't happen. But, and they would tell you, and they have told me that my childhood was very different than theirs. And so I got into my 20s and I started to suffer from some depression, which is very typical if you grow up in an alcoholic home. But through that time, I realized that I had a choice to make. And that choice was to be a victim because I could, I could feel sorry for myself. I could focus on staying depressed as opposed to focus on getting out of depression. So the choice is victim or victor. And so I decided I'm going to be a victor. And I really came to understand this whole concept of personal responsibility. We are personally responsible for our happiness, which is likewise, if we're not happy, we probably have a lot of personal responsibility of what we're doing with our brain and our mind and our spirit. So starting in my mid-20s, I really came to understand that I'm responsible for my attitude, I'm responsible for my happiness, I'm responsible for my outlook. So what I learned is that I would pile on. In my 20s, I'd be sad about whether money was tight or I wasn't dating a man or maybe I was overweight or maybe I didn't like my job. And I would absolutely add to negative feelings, make myself feel worse by focusing on all the bad. And what I've learned to do through the decades is focus on the good, focus on the positive. I got a brother who is a quadriplegic. He broke his neck when he was 16. He's paralyzed from the shoulders down, right? Mm -hmm. Charles had a choice. He could be a victim and be a negative person. He's now got a charity that gathers old wheelchairs and refurbs them and gives them to people who can't afford wheelchairs. I mean, the guy's making a difference in the world. He had a choice. He could be a negative quadriplegic or he could work every day to have the best attitude because basically your attitude is going to define your happiness and how you feel about things. 
I see talking to you and, and listening to you that you use these little motivational factors. What is the reason you do that? Is it so that you can bounce back quickly when life happens? Because it is a way to discipline my mind. So I remember reading years ago, decades ago, um, James Clavell's novel called Shogun. And there is an amazing quote in there. It's about a paragraph long that talks about the strength of the samurai is discipline and developing discipline. And the most critical discipline is a discipline of the mind. Now, keep in mind, the samurais were fighters. They were warriors. They were working out all the time. They were um, endurance athletes. Now, that's all hard stuff. But in Clavel's novel, the samurai is taught the discipline of the mind is the most important, right? That's about attitude. That's about mindset. And so the discipline of my mind, nobody's going to want to follow a negative leader. Nobody. Mm -mm. My job as a leader is to be positive, not to be Pollyanna, not to ignore challenges. I need to lead with excellence. And part of leading with excellence is motivating people. Well, you can't motivate people if you're negative. No. People won't be motivated by you if you're negative, right? So no. part of that is how I manage myself personally, my personal life. But also that makes me more successful in my business life. And so if sometime you need to come visit me at the office here. We've got this big, long hall. It used to just be a big, long hall. And now it's inspiration of all. And it's filled with about 180 quotes about positive mental attitude and perseverance and mindset. I love it. Oh, my God. I want to see that. Right. I mean, and it makes a difference. I've had so many employees come to me and say, I'm really struggling with something in my personal life that I just went and spent 20 minutes in Inspiration Hall and it made a difference. That's the impact, right? Right there. That's the impact. Well, let me ask you this. So is there one quote that's made the biggest impact in your life? Well, no, there is one. What is that? A diamond is a piece of coal that took stress really well. Wow. Think about that in a leadership role. I might be under a lot of pressure, whether it's achieving budget, challenges in the marketplace, um, whatever it could be. My job is to be a diamond and to take stress really well and not to let stress affect me negatively. Now, am I perfect? Absolutely not. But I work to catch myself when I'm imperfect. And then I have another one, and it's from Vince Lombardi. And it says, to achieve success, whatever the job we have, we must pay a price. The reason I have that there is very often I get asked, boy, has it been tough being a female in a male-dominated industry? Has it been tough being a female and making it to the C-suite? And what I say is, what is tough, man? Whatever it is to achieve success, we got to pay a price. So what's the price? I made a choice that I would rather have a career than be a mom. That's not the right choice for everybody, but it's the right choice for me. But I look at women's struggle between being great in their careers, which does involve a time involvement. Mm -hmm. I see women struggle with how do I be a great mom? How do I keep the house going? And how do I be a great leader? And almost kill themselves. And I think I think the feminist movement lied to women when they said you can have it all. I don't think anybody can have it all. I think you have to prioritize what you want. In my opinion. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about how you entered into the franchise world. What I love about franchising is it is the most democratic method of wealth creation. Some of the wealthiest people I know are folks that came to the United States from another country, disadvantaged, maybe had a hundred bucks in their pocket, started as a dishwasher in a franchise became a manager, got to buy it, now have many, right? And they just are generating wealth for their families. That's what I love about franchising. But I got into franchising completely accidentally. 
I uh, always knew I wanted to lead an organization. I wanted to be a CEO. And sometimes you forget things briefly. So out of college, and I have a degree in uh, business administration from Pepperdine University and a minor in computer science, but don't tell anybody on my IT team because they would laugh out loud thinking that that could absolutely be possible. <laughs> so bad at stuff now. But I started looking for a position in sales or marketing. And I got a sales coordinator position at this little company called Sir Speedy Printing Centers. I didn't even know what a franchise was. Turns out they were a franchisor. And then I grew up in that organization, held different roles in management and responsibilities, and was then part of the team that grew that franchise brand from under 200 to over 850 locations. Part of the team that acquired a printing franchisor in Europe called Multicopy, had the opportunity to run that for two and a half years in Europe. Was part of the team that then acquired our biggest competitor, Pip Printing, and then was able to be president of Pip Printing. So I spent 28 years with that organization, learning every part of franchising, being involved in every part of franchising, and fell in love with it. And why? Here's why I'm in love with franchising. Those people who are in the helping industries where they're making a difference in people's lives have great fulfillment. Well, I make a difference in people's lives every day. I help them achieve that dream of business ownership, that independence, mm -hmm. and to create jobs and build wealth for their family. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. My personal mantra is to make a difference in people's lives every day. And sometimes that's in business and sometimes it's not in business. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you, you were known in the franchise world and then you're in Fast Signs. Where did you start to get involved in IFA? Which for those of you that are listening, that's International Franchise Association. So I was probably 10 years into my franchising career and started going to IFA conventions and then hearing that there were committees. and. I'm just passionate and have always been passionate since I got in franchising about franchisee-franchisor relationships. So I got on the Franchise Relationships Committee. And then that gave me the opportunity to write white papers for the International Franchise Association, articles for Franchising World Magazine on franchising best practices. And so I think because of those contributions at a committee level and different members of the board saw me making an impact on the Franchise Relations Committees, then I was then asked to be on other committees and task forces. So I was doing a lot of volunteer work. And I found that very fulfilling. Why? Because I get to help other franchisors become better franchisors and getting the value of making a difference in people's lives. Very often, somebody will come up with a business concept. It'll be successful. They'll open five or six or seven locations. They get the idea of franchising. They might be really good at whatever it is, making tacos and their taco concept. But if they don't understand how to be a franchisor, they can become a bad franchisor, which hurts all franchisors when that unhappy franchisee speaks to their member of Congress or their senator and says, I lost my life savings because this bad franchisor didn't give me any support. This bad franchisor was whatever the reason might be. Right. right. So yeah. I loved volunteering at the committee level for the IFA because I knew I was paying it forward and making a difference. And, and what I'm really all about is best practices in franchising. And I, I think that if you implement those best practices in franchising, you actually create a flywheel that then propels itself for growth. And so I think that starts with focusing on franchisee profitability. At Fast Signs, prior to my coming here, we didn't focus on franchisee profitability. We focused on sales. When you focus on sales, you might be driving the wrong things. You might be driving low margin sales. Nobody enjoys that. You like high margin sales. So that's number one. And so if you get that first part of the flywheel in place, franchisee profitability, and then you start building high margin sales, always focusing on high margin sales. And then from there, focusing on improving the value of the brand. And I think 
franchisors do that with great marketing and advertising as well as more locations, then you're going to find it's easier to sell franchises because you're happy franchisees validate to franchise candidates. You sell and open and get them to ramp quickly. Right. Get those new centers up to be successful. And that leads to just all that works together for great franchise relationships. And now I went down a sidetrack there. So I was talking about the IFA. So then I was invited to be on the board and I joined the board of the IFA. They put me in a position as um, chair of the franchisor forum. And then I was invited to be in the chairs and only person in the history, the 63 year history of the IFA to have two years as chair. And it's either because they felt sorry for me because my first year was the pandemic year or because I brought so much value during the pandemic year. I prefer yeah, I'm saying the latter. You did this all during COVID. I did it all during COVID, yes. Wow. Talk about stress. <laughs> yeah, but but I'll tell you that I happen to believe if you step out in courage, you are given the energy, physical energy that you need. Um, one of the things that I did uh, shortly after the shutdowns in March of 2020 is realize that I can feed my own brain. I can control my mind quite well. I can not be freaking out about COVID. I can say, I'm not going to worry about what I can't control, but I'm going to work on what I can control. Mm -hmm. But not, not everybody has that. So I started going into our studio here um, every week and creating a motivational video and sending it to our franchisees. And then our franchisees were talking about the IFA said, hey, can you send us your videos? Sent them, they were getting out to the membership. And to this day, people say that made a difference. I love it. And now we're back to higher revenues than we've had, higher membership than we've had because we provided so much value. We had over a hundred webinars on how to get through the pandemic, whether it was how to apply for PPP loans, how to apply for forgiveness, how to comply with the CARES Act, or what are things you could do to support franchisees during the pandemic? I mean, it was just amazing what the, what the IFA was able to do during that time that provided so much value to our members. I, I relate to that too much. I have just a few more questions for you. Could you briefly talk about your experience with the undercover boss? I mean, heck, your episode is still in the top five for most generous company giveaways. Tell me a little bit about that. I think people that are listening are all familiar with the undercover boss. What was that experience like for you? Well, first I need to tell you, so the first, the first season of Undercover Boss, I think, was filmed in late 2009 and played in 2010, or maybe filmed in the beginning of 2009, played in the end of 2009. So in 2009, I joined Fast Lines, and literally my face is everywhere for Fast Lines franchisees. I'm doing Connect with Catherine conference calls, and my face is on the website, and I did a 28-city town hall tour, physically face-to-face -face with 75% of our Fast Lines franchisees, and in a two month period. So I get a call that says, hey, we got this new um, reality show called Undercover Boss. We think it'd be interesting for you to be on. I said, there's not a chance in hell you could disguise me. I don't think you understand. I've been face to face with so many of my franchisees in the first six months this year. And I said, okay, well, great. And then, uh, you know, season one was a hit and season two was a hit. And then in September of 2011, I get a call from my PR firm that says, how would you like to be an undercover boss? So I said to myself, I think I could do that. I think that would be fun. And I'd already seen that they can absolutely disguise people to not look like themselves. Uh, so I said yes and went through the contract negotiation process. And I had to convince the private equity firm that I would not embarrass the company and that it would all be good, that I could control myself for 10 days of filming. But it was the, it was the best experience. It was... Um, Long days, they really work 
to keep you uh, tired and busy and then rushing to an airport and getting into your hotel at one in the morning and getting up for makeup at 5.30 and starting filming by seven and film all day. And when I say all day, 12, 14 hour days and then off to the next city because they want you to then have those raw emotional moments. I'll give you a a little secret here. So once um, the contract was signed, I was given an episode producer. Her name was Rachel. And she said, hey, I would love to get to know you. Can we just have some conversations over the next three or four weeks, get to know each other? I thought, sure, how sweet. Isn't that nice? But that is so they could understand where your um, sensitive spots or tender spots are. So, you know, I talked about my brother breaking his neck and seeing my dad cry for the first time, my strong Naval Academy graduate father, Marine, cry when my brother broke his neck. Just that was the most shocking thing of all. And my mother committing suicide and just those kinds of things that are very deep. So then when they want to get you emotional, they might say, so tell me what it was like when your mom killed herself. And you'll say, I'm not going there. And then they'll ask you some questions about the day and they'll go back and say, I'm not going there. And they'll ask again. And then I just burst out crying. And then we had this cathartic interview about my childhood. Part of it made the episode, but I mean, it is raw television, right? So they know how to do that. Wow. Okay. So I want to switch now to wrap up the show a little bit about legacy. Okay. Giving is such a big part to you. And it's not necessarily, oh, here's a little gift. It's big giving. And it's, I think you and I are similar in that my, my mantra is to affect 100 million people some way, somehow in my life. Kind of what you do, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're very similar in that way. Legacy is very important to me. How does legacy play into your life? I think in two different levels, right? I think one is a business legacy. Uh, or an industry career legacy, and the other is a personal legacy. So on the business industry career, I mean, I want to make a difference. I give back a lot to franchising. Uh, I give a lot of time. Um, I write personal checks for different initiatives. Uh, Right now we have the IFA is running an open for opportunity campaign, a three-year reputational campaign, really educating lawmakers and the administration primarily Uh, On the value of franchising, we've now got research that shows that franchisees pay higher wages, provide more benefits, uh, that minority franchisees in the same industry as independent minorities in the same business generate more profit, which leads to more generational wealth. So we've got all this kind of research. Now we're educating folks about it because there is a mistaken impression that franchising is bad, that Franchising is only um, minimum wage jobs. Well, there are some minimum wage jobs, but uh, if you look at the Fast Signs Network or the Nerds to Go Network, we don't have a single minimum wage job at any of one of our franchisees' location unless it's the franchisee's 12-year-old kid during the summer that's sweeping the floors. I mean, we our franchisees pay high wages at Fast Signs. Our franchisees and Nerds to Go pay high wages. It is not a minimum wage only thing, but too often the fast food minimum wage is thought of by lawmakers is that's what franchising is. So we got this great open for opportunity campaign. And so, you know, man, I just wrote a check to help fund it. Not a Propel Brands check, a personal check. Why? Because franchising has created a great career for me, which means I do well financially. And that's just one way I can give back. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, they don't want to make a difference in franchisees and franchisors' lives. That's why I'm so involved with the International Franchise Association. Then on a personal standpoint, it's making a difference with those groups that are important to me, that the causes that resonate with me. Um, and 
So that's what legacy is. It's just making a difference right now. I now need to set a goal like you to touch a hundred million people. I've not set a goal like that. My goal has just been to make a difference in somebody else's life every single day. Now I've got to up my game. Gary, you're making well, harder for well, me. Well, because what doesn't get, I say, what doesn't get measured. It doesn't, doesn't get done. Right. So like I keep an eye on, do I ever know if I absolutely hit a hundred million? I won't know, but, but I have a pretty good idea of where I'm at. That's cool. It's interesting too, because I've spoken in big arenas before. I've spoken at your conference before. And I've also, I'm in a person's home and there's two people in there. And you know what? It's just as impactful because you're not only affecting them, you're affecting their kids and other people because of the conversations you're having with those people. And what a gift we've been given to do that. Exactly. It's really, really cool. Um, I guess I'll wrap up the show today. Kids are a big part of your charity. Your And time. Yeah, and time. I'll tell you how that all started. I, I did not think I would be a good mother. My mother was a horrible mother. And I just thought you learned motherhood from your mother now. What I found is when I learned that our mindset is determined by our decision on what mindset to have, when I learned in my late 20s, this is personal responsibility that I have to discipline my mind. I, there's no upside for me to pile on and think negative thoughts. I thought, wow, what if somebody had taught me that when I was in junior high or high school or college? Why did I have to learn this the hard way of really struggling with depression and self-worth issues in my 20s, if I could teach that stuff. So then I started getting involved with Pi Sigma Epsilon. I did a couple of different keynotes for them. I did workshops for them. I wrote articles for them about creating mindset and what I call the five common characteristics of all highly successful people, with positive mental attitude, goal-directed behavior, self-motivation, a sense of urgency, and never stopping learning. And that they're all learned skills. That's the amazing thing. It's not DNA. They're developed. I can learn how to set goals and achieve goals, right? I can learn how to unleash self-motivation. I can learn these things. Likewise, I can teach them to other people. So the opportunity, and COVID has really put a stop to that because I've had, I've spoken to some youth meetings like with the Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson that she has a, for underprivileged kids. I've had the opportunity to do that several times. Um, and then COVID has kind of stopped that. So I need to, now that things are opening back up, see about getting more back into that stuff. And so then that has also led uh, to the opportunity uh, to be on a couple boards uh, of some franchise companies. One is the learning experience. And I was on that board for three and a half years. Uh, and that is one of the, the top and best early childhood development education franchises. And I mean, to be there and to see them teach infants to sign language so they can say diaper change or water when they can't speak is amazing, right? It's just think about that kind of brain development in early age. And then I also was invited to be on the board of a, another franchise called Brain Balance, which helps children that have, you know, behavioral uh, disorders. And to see the research, the impact that that Brain Balance program has on children, getting them wired correctly, for lack of a better term, getting them to get to be able to enjoy studying, have good grades, be social. I mean, it's, those are just powerful things. You just feel huge. good about yourself. That's huge legacy. I mean, that's affecting people from childhood all the way through business ownership. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today on the Let's Talk Legacy podcast. If anybody wants to reach out to you to maybe buy a franchise, get some signs made, or just be more motivated and you can send them in the right direction, how would they reach you? Well, one way they could do that was send me an email at katherine.monson at propelledbrands.com. 
you could go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Catherine Monson, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-O-N-S-O-N. I'd say those would be two ways to do it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Gary, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies. Thank you.